Whether you have a general interest in health and wellness, or you are already a medical professional, we're here to provide you with tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. This is House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. Here, our expert providers will share with you wellness tips, information, and general health advice. Thank you for listening. So this is Brianna with Health U, and I'm here today with Dr. Louisa Asando, a board-certified OBGYN at JFK Medical Center and Hackensack Meridian Health Medical Group. Welcome, Dr. E. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. So today we're going to try and normalize the OBGYN visit for women, and we're going to make the uncomfortable quite comfortable. I'm hoping we can. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Now I can say as a woman myself, I can definitely you know, remember that first few visits with an OBGYN and how awkward it was kind of just opening up about my sexual health to a complete stranger. And you know, that stranger's wearing a white coat and you know, you're in your stirrups and they have the little gloves on and it's quite intimidating, you know? So let's kind of just dive into it. Are there any questions that, you know, um, you think patients are initially hesitant to ask, but they shouldn't be, right? Because... I mean, I always say if you can't discuss personal and really um, intimate things with your gynecologist, who really can you? So there really shouldn't be anything that a patient should be afraid, embarrassed, or nervous to ask. They should really disguise the limit. We've heard it all. You have heard it all? There's nothing that a woman should feel embarrassed or nervous no, to ask their OBGYN? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Not one question exists? No. None. <laughs> not one. I Trust guess let's me. just dive into it, yes. right? Can you have sex on your period? You can. I mean, most of us, our first thought is you, but there are some patients who are very hypersexual at that time just because of their hormones. So I've had some patients tell me that they will put towels there if they really want to and they'll do what they need to. You're not going to hurt anything. Um, but sometimes you might notice a slight odor because um, especially women who have had children can relate to this when your uterus is kind of emptying out after okay. you give birth. When that discharge mixes with the air it's not so aromatic we wouldn't say yeah. lavender scent so some <laughs> women who are having intercourse let's say during their cycle they can uh, but they might notice either some um, not so pleasant odor or there might be some irritation because the tissue sometimes is a little bit more sensitive when you're on your menstrual cycle on the topic of sex, mm -hmm. can you also have sex while you're pregnant? You absolutely can, and you are guaranteed not to be pregnant. So, Because okay. if you're already pregnant, that fear is gone. There is no trimester that you cannot. Some women are just nervous or anxious, so they choose mm -hmm. not to, and that's purely personal. Okay. You know, I've had some patients say, especially their male partners, well, is there going to be a, a little dent in the forehead, <laughs> or is it going to be a one-eyed? You know, there's, they are oblivious <laughs> to what you're doing they have no uh. idea if you have a low risk pregnancy meaning not a lot of health complications or your provider isn't concerned mm -hmm. about you going into preterm labor or you don't have a history of it and you discuss it with your provider and they see no uh inhibitions for you to do it then you absolutely can be sexual all during every trimester and some women actually it's liberating for them they enjoy it and especially toward the end of the pregnancy it can actually help to get things going because the semen actually helps to relax and thin out that cervix and really? make it more favorable a little plug yeah it's not uncomfortable for the woman it can be so okay. obviously the woman would have to do different positions and she has to communicate with her sexual partner mm -hmm. so that it's in a position that's comfortable for her and obviously she probably does not 
want to be on her back because that's also going to make it uncomfortable with a big uterus. So they have to get creative um, okay. and also blood flow to the baby. So, but there's, there's no limitations. So they can go and have fun. They're not going to get pregnant. Did you ever have a patient say, I'm having sex and it hurts. Is this normal? Yes, that happens actually quite often. And we usually think that it's only when women are postmenopausal. And what that means is the woman has not been getting her cycles for a year or more. And if you're not getting your cycles, that means that you're not producing estrogen, which is one of the female hormones in quantity. So that can really affect your vaginal tissue. Mm -hmm. So some women, yes, that can be make intercourse uncomfortable. The phrase that has come up sometimes in the office visits is it feels like sandpaper. Yes. I water I rather get waterboarded. So oh, you know we wow. don't want okay. it to be at that level. But it can be uncomfortable for purely physiologic reasons. And then your, your provider can talk to you about, you know, different practical ways, whether it's natural lubricants like coconut oil mm -hmm. or over-the-counter lubricants or even doing hormone therapy if you are a candidate for that. So they can definitely give you some practical and medical suggestions uh, to help with that. In okay. addition, sometimes it can be uncomfortable or painful because a patient has a history of sexual trauma or assault. And there are so many women, and we're, I know it's now in the culture and there's mm -hmm. more discussions, but so it happens. you go happens. into that during your visit? You have to. You okay. have to go into it. And only if the patient is comfortable and you want to make sure that you approach it in a delicate way so that you're not... Um, in having any triggers for that female. Mm -hmm. But it is important if there is a history of sexual trauma or sexual assault to address it and to also maybe have on board if they're not already uh, in connected with a mental health specialist to Got make it. sure that that becomes part of the treatment process. But that can be sometimes infection mm -hmm. can make it uncomfortable. And so then, there's definitely a lot of factors. And then sometimes anatomy, you know, mm -hmm. there's sometimes the different anatomy for male or female mm -hmm. can make it a disconnect and make it uncomfortable. Or if you're just not really on board, if you're tired, if you, your sexual partner is not, not looking like <laughs> the person you would want, <laughs> then oh. all of that can affect your desire, let's be honest. So. What if somebody says, you know what, doc, I'm actually not having any sex and my mm -hmm. libido is quite low. Mm -hmm. What, how would you respond? What would you say? So first I would ask them, when did that transition happen? So when did your libido start to become decreased? And sometimes it can be because of some of the things we were just talking about. They're mm -hmm. tired, they're busy, they're just not into it. You know, they don't feel well. There could be other medical problems. Sometimes it can be because things have gotten monotonous and routine mm -hmm. and so they need to change things. Spice it up a little exactly, bit. Exactly. Mm. Get creative. Sometimes it can be because of hormonal changes and you have to be sensitive to that. And a lot of times women think, well, after a certain age, I've just I don't need to have sex, but I have women into their 80s who are robustly sexually active. So age should not be a limiting factor, but you do have to acknowledge that that can be one of the reasons because of the changes mm. in hormones. But your gynecologist can really work with you to help you get to a point where you are sexually active to the level you want to be. Have you ever had a patient say, you know, what's going on with the itch down there? Yes. And, you know, a lot of times women get it and no one wants to talk about it. It's not a bad thing. Is it common? It's very common. Okay. 
sometimes, you know, if a woman is very active, so let's say they go to the gym or they run or whatever, they might have a little itch. Sometimes mm -hmm. right before your cycle or right after your cycle, you might have a little itch. Summertime, you know, you might get a little itch after intercourse or if you're having frequent. So there's a lot of different reasons. Or sometimes it can be because there's an infection going on. I was going on. to say, so is there ever a time of concern? Absolutely. So if it's an itch that's not going away, okay. <laughs> if it's an itch that comes with it, it's, you know, friend and odor that's not aromatic if it's an itch that has you know not just a little clear uh, or whitish discharge but there's different colors green frothy mm. you know malodorous those are probably not normal okay um, anytime you are concerned about any um itch it's better to probably speak with your provider than to go to dr google because there's going to be a million and one different reasons webmd help me yeah. yes and that can sometimes make the women very nervous and anxious mm -hmm. and it's important to reassure them that most of those symptoms that they're feeling can be managed with medication or sometimes just changing their habits you mentioned odor mm -hmm. do you have women come in saying you know i'm smelling something that's not yes. quite normal yes. what is this yes some women will say is that me <laughs> and i'm like yes sadly it is you <laughs> but it's okay because sometimes the women also women also get nervous thinking if they smell something that means everybody in the room is smelling it mm -hmm. no usually odor can sometimes be just like we sweat if we're jogging or if we're doing vigorous activity and bacteria in our underarm we call that the axillary area mm -hmm gets you know mixes with the sweat then it gives off an odor so for women in our vaginal area you know bacteria and certain organisms love dark moist areas and as women we have a prime target you know below the belly button above the knee that you know sometimes bacteria can concentrate there so it's important that if you notice an odor that is maybe not associated with just because you've been busy or you didn't really clean us mm. thought you not did. as hygienic exactly or for you know factors that you can pinpoint if it's an odor that's not going away once again that can be associated with some kind of infection or something else going on um, sometimes even some just to deviate slightly even cervical cancer believe it or not can for women give off this really really strong I didn't odor. know that it could be really malodorous but there will be others you know symptoms associated with it so that's why you don't want to just ignore if it's an odor that's not going away it's important that you see your provider and you follow up with her or him and I'm a little biased. <laughs> no, I mean, it's okay. Personally, I feel more comfortable with a female OBGYN, but mm -hmm. I know there's women out there who they really don't pay mind either way. They don't exactly. care. Yeah. Exactly. Now, you also mentioned discharge. Mm -hmm. How much discharge is too much discharge? Is that a question that you get asked? Yes. Yeah, so I actually hear that a lot from my adolescents. Um, I do... Uh, Part of my practice is dealing with adolescent uh, gynecology and also pediatric gynecology. So with adolescents, they're like, oh, this is gross. What is that? I want it to stop. But then I tell them, you know, go talk to the 90-year-old lady and she'll be begging for some <laughs> of your discharge. And so, yes, sometimes it's just because you're healthy, you're active, you're making great hormones, you're well lubricated. So the mm -hmm. discharge is fine. And it's actually keeping your vaginal area and your uh, GYN organs, you know, well lubricated. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you didn't have saliva in your mouth. After a while, after a while, dry mouth gets to be very uncomfortable. It's absolutely it's, it's painful. It's the same thing in your vaginal area. If you're not well lubricated, if you're not having good discharge, that is also going to be uncomfortable. And that can even be a setup to just backtrack to the, you know, infection or itchiness or odor. So discharge isn't the enemy. 
However, with anything, if it's discharge that has, you know, increased dramatically from what you're used to or has with it some other associated symptomatology. So okay. there's, you know, odor, there's itching, there's redness, plus discharge, and the discharge is changing in color. Once again, I would encourage to discuss it with your OBGYN and not Dr. Google. <laughs> <laughs> Always going to Google, number one. Yes. Another thing. Um, have you ever had somebody come in saying, you know, I get recurrent UTIs. Is this is this okay? Is there something wrong with me? Yes. And so it's actually quite frequent, uh, quite common, rather, for women to have recurrent UTIs if, let's say, they are having a lot of intercourse and they're not emptying their bladder. Um, immediately before, after? Immediately after. Some women, if they are postmenopausal, once again, the, the decrease in estrogen is now not at serving as a protective barrier for their uh, urinary tract system. And so especially in the opening, you know, women, we have three openings, the one where the urine comes out, the one where the baby or the penis goes in or toys or whatever <laughs> it is you prefer, and then the one where number two comes out of. Okay. And so sometimes, let's say if there's bacteria in the vaginal area or even in the um, where the number two comes out, where you have your bowel movements, it can easily travel because our, our openings are in close close proximity yeah unlike a male which you know variations <laughs> in proximity let's just say and so sometimes if bacteria gets in there into your urinary system then it can cause irritation and that's mm. what is the cause of a urinary tract infection it starts in the bladder and then it starts to travel so Got hydration it. hydration hydration empty in your um, bladder before and after intercourse. And then sometimes if you are a postmenopausal woman and you're having frequent uh, urinary tract infections, it could be because of you know lack of estrogen or lack of the hormones. So you might need to see your provider. And once again, they'll talk to you about some um, practical uh, suggestions or give you some uh, medications or things that might be helpful. And then other times hmm. it can be because maybe there's another disease process going on. And then once again, it's important to follow it up with your provider. Hmm. Now, I guess let's move on to a different subject. What is breakthrough bleeding and is that common? So breakthrough bleeding is can happen. It's not something that women usually enjoy. There's a, once again, with the theme is it depends. It depends. Mm -hmm. uh, so on what's normal to you. So breakthrough bleeding can be what we call mid-cycle. And a patient pointed out to me, they thought when I say mid-cycle, that means during your period or during your menses, halfway point. No, when we say cycle in the world, it means from the start of your first period to the start of the next. So mm -hmm. your whole menstrual cycle. So some women at halfway point is when that egg is being released. We call that ovulation. So some women can have some spotting around the time of ovulation. Is and it excessive? So it's usually not. It's usually just a, a few a light bleeding or a little spotting. Okay. But for some women, it might be. Sometimes breakthrough bleeding can be because there's something called a polyp. You know, you might hear of polyps in the colon or mm -hmm. in your gallbladder and your nose. It's just normal tissue of whatever organ we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So polyps in the uterus, usually for women of reproductive age, is not anything concerning for the most part. But sometimes that gets influenced by the hormones. So that can lead to some slight bleeding or spotting. Uh, sometimes it can be because there's some abnormalities with your actual menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And so your body is thinking it's supposed to bleed when it shouldn't. And so there needs to be some regulation of the hormones. And that's when it would be good to have that discussion with your uh, gynecologist because he or she can actually do a full evaluation, a workup, and then see is this breakthrough bleeding 
part of your regular cycle? Is it because there's some um, either polyp or submucosal fibroid? Submucosal means it's in the cavity of the uterus, and fibroid is usually normal tissue mm -hmm. of, once again, if it's in your breast, it's fibroadenoma. If it's in your uterus, it's leiomyoma. So it's fibroid is a hardened normal tissue. Once again, that can get influenced by hormones, so that can also lead to some breakthrough bleeding. And then it can also be something completely unrelated to your hormones, but maybe other hormone productions going on in different parts of the body that might be having an effect on your reproductive mm. system and your organs. So it can be interconnected or it can be isolated to your reproductive system, but it's important to discuss it with your provider so that he or she can reassure you or do the necessary Absolutely. Changes. If you're on birth control though, isn't mm -hmm. the pill supposed to regulate your period? It's supposed to. So the way pills work is, you know, birth control pills usually have estrogen and progesterone mm -hmm. and your ovaries produce estrogen and progesterone. So when you start taking birth control pills, the pills are kind of acting like the enforcer. It's going in there and telling your ovaries, no, I'm in charge and I'm going to tell your body when to bleed, how often and when to stop. And regulate you. Yeah, exactly. And your ovaries like, mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and so sometimes if the levels are not high enough, you got to have this battle and the ovaries want to come back and do their job because, you know, they've been on vacation, but maybe they, they want to come back from vacation they're like mm, I think I'm ready and the pills are saying no you need to stay longer and so they start this internal struggle mm. so for some women they might be having breakthrough bleeding because maybe there needs to be a tweaking of the concentration of their birth control pills or sometimes they deviate from their schedule and once again those ovaries are always waiting to get back to work and so if you deviate from your schedule or you start to skip or miss pills or taking it at different times the ovaries think they look left they look right oh somebody's having there's issues. a clearing exactly time for me to try to make my move and get back to work got it yeah. Very interesting. You, you broke know, that down in a nice, um, easy well, to understand way. Well, we can always way. use the technical terms, but I think in order for patients to get the benefit, you mm -hmm. have to put it in terms that they can understand so they can relate to it. Well, thank you. Of course. Have you ever now had a patient come in saying, you know, doc, um, I'm starting to kind of tinkle when I laugh or when I cough. <laughs> uh, is there something going on with me? Am I okay? You, you might be okay. <laughs> so yes, the, the tinkle, anybody who's pushed out a baby or two or three can probably relate. Um, sometimes that can be the reason. That's just their battle wound, right? Battle like you said. scar <laughs> for having a vaginal delivery yeah. or sometimes just being pregnant altogether. Mm -hmm. It changes your body so much. So that could be a reason. Mm -hmm. It sometimes can be because things are starting to relax. You know, when you're young and healthy, everything is standing upright, nice and taut. Your pelvic anatomy, everything is behaving. As you live longer, we don't like to say get older, but as you live longer, like that. those things start to relax and the muscles and everything. And so instead of behaving, they're like, ah, we'll get to it. Or because mm. what happens is when your bladder contracts, that's when it pushes out the urine. Mm -hmm. Every now and then over time, the bladder is like, yeah, I know I should, but I'll get to it when I get to it. So it just lets out a little bit, a little bit. And sometimes it's not emptying completely. So when you cough, sneeze, jump, laugh really hard, you get a little... Sometimes, too, there's a muscle we call the sphincter, and a, a sphincter just means something that's really, really tight. So you mm -hmm. can think about where number two comes. You want that to be tight. Yeah, so yeah. So the same thing with the bladder. There's a little muscle at the end where it 
keeps everything tight so that when you are in a meeting and you can't go empty your bladder, you hold it till you're able to. Well, over time, that muscle also says, you know, I feel like I've been working long and hard. <laughs> I'm tired. I want to take it a little easy every now and then. Mm. So instead of, you know, holding it nice and tight, once again, when you laugh, you sneeze. Oh, I'm going to be relaxed too. You're relaxed. Why can't <laughs> I? So sometimes that can be. So it could be part of the body changing. Is there anything a woman can do to strengthen yes. that area? There are some things. So, and the, the last thing is oh, if a woman is overweight or obese, that pressure on her pelvic floor can also add to that. So sometimes, oh. you know, cardiovascular exercise is great for any female and it should not be about a number on a scale. But if that is the case for some women, that can be the first step in trying to help improve some of those symptoms. So that's it. The second is a woman trying to do frequent emptying of her bladder. So try not to push the limits, mm. um, especially because the body might not be as forgiven because the more you try to push the limits, then the body gets upset and says, you know what, I'm not going to keep things in, in place for you. I'm just going to release whenever I feel like it. And then the last is Kegel exercises that some women might have heard about. And Kegel exercises, the way I try to tell a patient to envision it is, mm -hmm. let's say you've been waiting for a phone call from somebody you absolutely love, you know, okay. or a famous person you love or whatever. All right. And all day you've been waiting for this phone call and you had to go empty your bladder and you forgot the one time to bring your phone with you. And you hear, because you have a special ringtone for that person. I would be heartbroken. You hear the phone is ringing and you're not going to miss that call. No. So even if you're in the middle of mm -hmm. emptying your bladder, you're going to stop that urine and run for the phone call. So the muscles you would use to stop that urine is Kegel exercises. So you can do Kegel exercises wherever you are. You can do it right now talking to me. You're like, you know what, Dr. Sanda, this is not. I'm zoning out now. <laughs> exactly. You can zone out and do some Kegel. You can do it when you're stuck in traffic. You can do it when you're waiting in the doctor's office. You can do it wherever you are. Nobody needs to know. And the great thing is you don't have to get out of bed or put on some gear and go to a place. You can do it wherever you are. But Kegel exercises do work, hmm. but it's not the only thing. So it can work in conjunction with all the other things that we talked about. And it's not going to reverse anything, but it might help to prevent it from getting and worse. Well, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned you um, you see adolescents mm -hmm. and preteens, teens. Mm -hmm. If you have, you know, uh, mother patients who come in, do they mm -hmm. say, you know, hey, Dr. A, when should my daughter start mm -hmm. seeing you? When is yes. it appropriate? Yes. And a lot of the mothers are protective, as rightly so, because they don't want to traumatize their uh, young daughter for no reason. Some of us can remember back in the day when you were thrown into the GYN's office, you know, here, put your legs up and who are you? And I'm going to put this thing in you. And the woman is like, That's I'm never going. Exactly. Yeah. They don't go for years and we don't want that. So when for us who do pediatric and adolescent gynecology, we really try to make it a positive experience. So when I have my adult women ask me about their daughters, I'll tell them it depends, as we usually say. Mm -hmm. So if, let's say, the girl is already getting her cycles and she's having issues, and for adolescents, they're already going through so much because they're transitioning. Yes. They're, it's just a very difficult time for for most adolescents. Transformative, Good, yeah. Exactly. Good or bad, it's different, difficult for them. And so for some of them, their cycles can be really disruptive. Let's say they're active and they already have having body, images, body image issues mm -hmm. and self-esteem issues, and now they have to worry about this monthly or sometimes bi-weekly issue. And so especially in the beginning, some adolescents, their cycles can be all over the place, kind of like at the end when your body is 
finishing up this whole process. So for those adolescents, mm-hmm. if, even if they're 13, 14, 15, and they need to come in, then I'll tell them we'll come in and we'll talk, they can come in and we'll talk about their cycles and try to really normalize it for them. And it's with adolescents, it's a lot of reassurance, letting them know that you're okay, you're normal, there's nothing wrong with your body. It's just, you know, your it's body might be growing up. Exactly, taking a different path, but it doesn't mean it's the wrong path. Mm-hmm. And, and then sometimes there are actual issues, you know, they might have bleeding disorders. That gets diagnosed a lot of times in adolescent females because it manifests itself in their cycles. Hmm. And then there's some um, mothers who their children are sexually active. And so if they're adolescents who are sexually active, then it's a good idea for them to see their gynecologist because then we can talk to them about good sexual health and sexual practices and make sure that they're protecting themselves appropriately and also educate them. A lot of times it's about demystifying down there because you yeah. know you want to be comfortable with it just like you brush your teeth you know you're aware of your ear your nose you need to be comfortable and aware so a lot of the adolescent and pediatric visits are making them comfortable and letting them know that this is a positive thing and we're not here to traumatize them Absolutely, and we want to yeah. create an open environment so that if there are other questions that they might have that they might not even be comfortable talking to about with their mom like that that itch or that discharge, then they can come. And then with the pediatric population, it's really very specific if they're mm. having certain issues, whether it's vaginal bleeding or in the summer, you get a lot of straddle injuries because they're playing on the you know monkey bars mm. and they fall or they're in cheer and they do splits and they injure I themselves. I feel the pain so. as you say that. <laughs> oh. So it, it really it varies, but we do. I do personally see adolescent and pediatric uh, population, and and I think it's important that if a, a mother is concerned, then she should discuss it and reach out. But I do strongly encourage making sure that it's somebody who specializes in pediatric and mm-hmm. adolescent gynecology because the exam and the approach is so different from the adult. Do you want I can imagine. And you do not want to set this little one on a trajectory that is going to traumatize them for years. To make y- the younger patients more comfortable, um, have they ever been asked, you know, mm-hmm. can I bring a friend? Can I bring my mom? Or do they mm-hmm. like to go alone? Have you seen it go either way? So adolescents, believe it or not, are very adversarial toward their mom. So uh, for the most part, there are some that have great relationships, but most of the time they want their mom in the waiting room, but not in the room. But then there's the younger adolescents who, yes, they feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. having their mom there and for reassurance and sometimes to fill in the health history questions. But absolutely for the pediatrics, we bring the, we have them with the mom. And I will actually do the exam with the, you know, I had a five-year-old the other day and she sat on her mom and the mom was an active participant in the whole exam. I like that. Mm -hmm. Let's just close the loop, I guess, on all of these questions. So again, are there any questions that are entirely too embarrassing that a patient should be a little scared to ask you? There really should not. And a patient should feel comfortable enough with her gynecologist that she can have kind of a conversation sort of like what we're doing Mm -hmm. and to really um, unload if she needs to. Um, if she's having issues with sexual health, she need that this is the time and the place to be able to have that conversation. And then any any and any and every GYN issue that she's experiencing, she should really be able to discuss that. And I, I really mean it, ladies. We have heard it all and feel comfortable discussing it with your gynecologist. 
these are pretty personal. So how do you recommend a woman finds um, a f- OBGYN of fit? So it is true you want to be comfortable enough with your gynecologist because it's not like going to your primary care and they're going to listen to your lungs because they think you might have a cold. These are intimate uh, areas. And for some women, it can be... Um, quite traumatic for them for Mm -hmm. a variety of different reasons. So you want to make sure you're comfortable with your provider. So word of mouth. So some patients will refer their friends, their family, um, their colleagues, neighbors, and, you know, I go to them, I feel comfortable, I know you, I think you will too. So that's a great way. Some will do the online review sentence and use that. Um, But I always caution patients because most of us, if we really have a positive experience, we want everybody to know. If you have a really negative experience, we want everybody to know. know. There's no in between. Exactly. So sometimes that is helpful, but that should not be the only uh, deciding factor. For some it is, and a lot of times, People pretty much use that, but I, mm-hmm. I will say that it's good to discuss. And also other providers. You might, you know, see your primary care doctor and say, hey, you know, I kind of like your personality. And so most providers, they kind of, other colleagues become like extensions of their of arms. Of their network, Exactly. Yeah. So most likely if you're having a positive experience with this provider for some other health issue and you ask them, they probably are going to recommend a few other providers that they, in their network, and you will most likely have that positive experience. In summary, what kind of relationship should a woman have with her OBGYN? Well, it should be an open relationship, um, but the responsibility and the onus is on the gynecologist to make sure she's comfortable to create that environment where she feels safe and she is able to discuss any and every issue with her gynecologist. Uh, And it's interesting because a lot of the GYN issues um, might have psychosocial components to it. Mm -hmm. So if you have not really formed that kind of rapport or relationship with your patient, you might miss certain things. So a woman might, for example, complain of chronic pelvic pain, and you do everything, you know, you do the full detailed evaluation, there's nothing. Hmm. And then in talking to them, because you've established this relationship, you find out that maybe they have an alcoholic husband, they are stressed at work, Mm. their child may be might be going through some um, opioid abuse issues or different things. So there's all these other that factors that can play a role. Nothing to really do with her GYN. Physical it, health. But a lot of those psychosocial issues, once again, below the belly button, above the knee. As women, we internalize and we hold it in. Hmm. And so that could be part of her chronic pelvic pain. And addressing those psychosocial issues Little by little, she's, once you've eliminated all the possible causes, you see that her symptoms are improving. So it's really important for gynecologists to make sure that we are really seeing the patient and giving them the time that they need. It's very difficult in healthcare these days um, because mm-hmm. there's so many pressures and so many time constraints. But for me personally, it's important that even little things like looking at a patient it makes all the difference. Absolutely. And, and for GYN, you capture certain things. You know, they might be talking about this itch or painful intercourse or bleeding that's disruptive. And by looking at them and asking some poignant questions, you start to put the picture together. And how you manage that patient now becomes personalized and they're able to benefit from it. So 
it's hard, it's true, but if it's seen as a collaborative approach, and if you work with your patients and try to give them the time that they need, then for the most part, you are able to take care of them as best as you're able to. I hope you've encouraged everybody who's listening to just embrace their sexual bodies, mm -hmm. their vaginal health, their mm -hmm. overall you know, psychosocial elements mm -hmm. too, and to really find that OBGYN who they see themselves growing with throughout mm -hmm. their stages of life. Mm -hmm. So thank you again for your candidness and everything. And you know, if I may say just one last thing, I think it's important for every female to look at themselves as an individual mm -hmm. and to look at all their components and make sure that they're GYN health is connected to their overall physical health as well as their mental and psychosocial health. And, and they need to be able to connect those dots so that they can continue to grow. And, and if you find a good OBGYN, then you can literally be with them for life, literally. Absolutely. So, Thank you again. Happy to do it. The material provided through this HealthU podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician always consult your physician for individual care.